This is The New Digital Customer, a podcast that brings you insightful and inspiring conversations with customer-focused leaders who are transforming and innovating customer experience. And now your hosts, the CEO of Brightloom, Adam Brotman, and Chief Product Officer, Ben Straley. Hey, everybody, this is Ben. And uh, this week, Adam is actually uh, off at an undisclosed location. Uh, And so we have a few special guests that are joining us for the uh, podcast, and uh, I couldn't be more excited. We have uh, members of our data science team and our engineering team here today to talk about uh, data science broadly and some of the cool things that are happening in the retail and marketing landscape uh, with data science today. And so uh, without further ado, I want to introduce Brian Zimmer, our CTO, and Brian Prazen, uh, one of our senior data scientists, and Felix Dillis, who is also uh, a senior data scientist here at Brightlim. Um, Brian, uh, before we dive in, sorry, Zimmer, we're going to call you Zimmer for the sake of clarity uh, on the on the podcast. Um, can you just introduce yourself to uh, to our listeners? Sure. Uh, thanks, Ben. Uh, it's Brian Zimmer, CTO. I've uh, been with Brightloom since uh, October of 2019. I've uh, been working with technology, building technology platforms for about 25 years or so. I've been in a number of different fields. And you know the theme through most of them has been using data to make decisions. So worked in finance for uh, quite a while, travel, spent about a decade in agriculture, helping farmers with their decisions. And now being able to take a lot of those learnings and bring them to sort of the marketing platforms and helping our customers figure out how to leverage the data that they have on their guests and uh, you know create a great customer experience. Yeah, thanks, Zimmer. I mean, one of the things that I'm looking forward to diving in on this um, podcast with you and and uh, Brian and Felix is you know that sort of intersection of technology and data and and how. Um, some very exciting things are happening uh, today um, there. But before we move forward, uh, Brian Prazen, why don't you uh, introduce yourself? Thank you. Um, yeah, so I have been a data scientist at Brightloom for a little over a year now. Um, I started my career doing a PhD on multivariate analysis for classification of chemical samples. Um, well, that makes two that of probably us. Doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably doesn't make much sense to a lot of your uh, listeners, but uh, essentially that was, you know, looking at what was at the time big data. Um, that was many years ago, but... Uh, I was taking uh, many measurements of um, blood samples and trying to say, uh, what's the probability of you having heart disease in the next 10 years? Um, so from there, I, uh, I started to notice some really exciting things happening in this new field that they call data science. And that was, you know, maybe 15 years ago. And I made my way into data science probably about five years ago now. Awesome. Um, uh, Thanks, Brian. Um, Felix, on to you. Yeah, hi. So I'm Felix. I've been with Brightloom about a year as well. I'm a data scientist here. I am a little bit earlier in my career than everybody else here. I uh, got started in my career as a sustainability coordinator at a huge university in Southwest Virginia. And uh, my first analytic project was doing a before after analysis of some energy saving measures that we did in the dining centers there. 
and uh, that led me to get my degree in applied economics. I did some work in international economics with the Peace Corps. I um, did some work looking at different kinds of organic pest management in the coffee fields in Panama. And after that, I uh, started my foray into data science in the energy industry. I took a job in Boulder, Colorado, helped build a startup there that um, is now quite large. And uh, Brightloom is my first official work in digital marketing analytics, um, making a hop from the e-commerce work I did in energy. So I'm glad to be here. Thanks. I mean, one of the just listening to you guys and your your backgrounds, one of the things that um, it reminds me of is how uh, how much I have learned from each of you and the work that we do about just how broad um, the field is and uh, the applicability of data science across many, many different industries. Um, and maybe that's a good place to kind of jump off for the conversation today is, you know, question for you, I guess, um, uh, Brian Prazen, I'll start with you. Um, you know, what, what do you, how do you sort of define data science and, and why do you think it is sort of having its moment right now in terms of its popularity and importance, um, in, uh, industries across the board, but particularly in the, in the retail and restaurant industry? Yeah, um, that is a an interesting and surprisingly difficult uh, question because many people define data science in many different ways. I mean, I think you could say data science is using data to predict the future. And, you know, that's exciting because everyone wants to know the future. Um, and, you know, that I'm kind of joking about that. But Really, to some extent, that's what it is. I mean, for generations, statisticians have uh, solved problems like how many widgets are we going to sell in August by looking at how many widgets were sold in the last few months and, you know, predicting the future, essentially. Um, now is an exciting time for this because we've got an incredible amount of inexpensive data and an incredible amount of computational power. And when you put those things together with statistics, uh, I think that is what data science is, to me at least. And that's a, that's a really, um, really interesting insight, uh, Brian, because what I, I heard you say clearly was Data science, at least in your view, is about predicting the future. I think for a lot of businesses, they're very used to looking uh, retrospectively at the past, using analytics to understand what's happened at the past, and now are starting to realize, just as you said, like the ability to take that data and those understandings and then use them to, to predict what's going to happen um, is a is a massive opportunity in in uh, in our space. What do you think, Felix? I would have to agree with that. I think um, I would like to say, though, that there are really, when I think about this question, there are three different things that I think about. Uh, one is that as a data scientist right now, and the nexus that we are right now in this moment, um, what we are is really highly skilled problem solvers with a lot of different skills. And one of the reasons we come from such broad backgrounds is that these problem solving skills are necessary in so many different domains. Um, but 
all of us have something in common and that we are generalists in certain areas, in statistics, in computer science, in mathematics, in various areas of business domain expertise. So that's one of them. It's like we are highly skilled in a, in a type of problem solving that can be applied across many domains. And then the other one is what Brian said, we're fortune tellers. I mean, I kind of think of myself as a fortune teller. Um, we harness the most information that we possibly can in order to look forward, which is impossible, but we do our best and we use mathematics to do that. And then also what data scientists are becoming is just a really specialized type of a software engineer. That's another way to look at it, um, especially in the domain of software, uh, which we are in. So I think that's how I think about it. Uh, and what, what do you think, Zimmer? I th yeah, I agree with what everyone has said so far. I think one of the big areas of improvement or kind of growth for us has been just the amount of data that we have access to. So a lot of you know, online ordering or people who have transitioned from coming in and paying in cash have now been doing it online or using credit card transactions. So we have a lot more records around what people have done. And that's been really beneficial. It's not just in sort of restaurant retail, but just generally speaking, that's true. And then I'd say kind of coming from the, the technical perspective, the engineering perspective, the platforms that are available to us now, the number of uh, whether it's like CDPs or the number of computation platforms with a lot of the base level uh, packages that are necessary to do these sorts of activities are ubiquitous. And so that's been a huge step change in what the industry can do because it's not constantly having to invent the, the base level work, but now you can really innovate on top of a lot of work that others have done. So that's been a, a big change in the last couple of years. Yeah, I think it's always interesting to think about the kind of macro trends and how they create the conditions for the emergence of new uh, new cap capabilities, new technologies, new disciplines. And what I've heard all of you say is that the availability of data, the volume of data, the computational power combined with these um, these people like you that have this certain expertise and and worldview is allowing for these amazing things to happen in in the field um, very very rapidly. And Felix, question kind of follow up question for you is um, you mentioned you know problem solving being sort of a core uh, capability that that data science teams and data scientists have. And I'm curious, you know, for for a company or uh, let's say a retail brand, for example, um, to think about um, when to invest in data science and, and how to get started. I'm curious, you know, is there a particular um, uh, type of problem or a, a, a type of an opportunity that emerges that to you would be a great candidate for a company to begin to invest in this, in this field and in this discipline? Yeah, so I think that any company that's sitting on top of data that they are not using or that they are using to some extent could probably use some kind of an analytics team. Now, mm -hmm. as to what kind of analytics team they need, they're going to need to do an assessment. And that might have to use some kind of external contractor. You might be able to do it internally. But really what you need to figure out is how mature is your data infrastructure. And if your data infrastructure is less mature, you're probably going to want to start with 
more general type analytics professionals. That could be a data scientist, that could be a data analyst. And by generalist, uh, another word that we use in data scientists is um, and data science is horizontal. So it's somebody with lots of different skills, not super specialized in any area. They can build you a machine learning model. They could also ingest data. They can clean it, munge it, do everything in between. They can do something end to end for you. Um, and if you have very, very mature data infrastructure, you're probably going to want more vertical data scientists. So you can hire somebody who's really, really specialized in computer vision or ML. You could hire somebody who's really specialized in experimentation, things like that. Um, so I think that companies a lot of times jump in and just hire an entire team, but there isn't enough infrastructure in place for the data science team to really work efficiently and data scientists can get burned out really quickly and leave. So it's very important to sort of have an assessment of where your company is um, before you build a very specific team that you don't need. That that makes sense, and and sort of to that to that end of, of how to how to approach getting started and how to invest. I guess Brian Prazen, um, what's what's kind of a typical problem or typical project that uh, a data scientist or data science team might um, be asked to uh, to tackle? Um, yeah. <laughs> That, that's interesting to go with just very typical. Um, or, my, or maybe 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 that's not an easy question to answer because they're all they're all different. I mean, I guess what's an example of something that kind of stands out in your mind that is a good example of of the the sort of problems that um, these teams that Felix is talking about and these individuals um, working yeah. on. Yeah, um, I think. Uh, I'd like to give an example where data science is used internally, because I, I think as we're all consumers and we see some of the stuff where it's like telling us uh, what movie we might want to watch. Mm -hmm. But the, the last um, position I was at, I was at a company that had salespeople that were in the field working alone, and they all had about a thousand leads and they were independently supposed to work these leads. Um, I built a system that ranked the leads for them. And hmm. that type of thing is um, where I see a lot of the power of data science. Um, so there was hundreds of people that used to spend their days, you know, making notes on like, when's the last time they called such and such. And that type of thing can be done very well with a model and can really help those people and then in turn help the company. Um, so, so kind of going back to your your definition of, of data science being um, in part, at least, about uh, building models that make predictions. In, in the example you just gave, essentially, the ranking was effectively a prediction of, of which leads might be the most um, responsive to the sales team? Yeah, in this case, the model was built to rank them according to um, conversion sales. Um, right. So we have uh, a lot of history of sales 
And we had a lot of uh, data on individual leads, you know, whether they had used our app, whether they'd, when's the last time they were contacted, all of that information that salespeople kind of had in their head, but mm-hmm. um, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, it's something that having a sort of a partner really helped them having a place that ranked them. And then they're like, Oh yeah, that is right. I wouldn't have remembered that person. And I think there are a lot of places for stuff like that within companies. Yeah. I like, I like what, where you're going with that, just in the sense that um, not only does it have the potential to be a big time saver and, and to, to make the work more efficient, but you know, just broadly, um, the more targeted and the more precise the the outreach, the more likely it is it's going to be a better experience for the person on the other end as well. Um, uh, which is something that you know we're working on, and you, you you guys are really at the forefront of at Brightloom is thinking about how do we enable our customers to better personalize um, communications and experience for their customers. Um, in doing it in ways that are, you know, can work at scale and and um, deliver a better experience um, through those the predictions that you're talking about. Um, and Zimmer, uh, I'm going to shift gears a little bit and ask you to go, you know, big picture, blue sky, and and start to um, uh, help us think about some of the big trends that um, y- you find interesting or, or sort of themes that are emerging out of, uh, out of the moment. I mean, you mentioned uh, some of them already, but I'm curious if you can kind of go a little bit uh, uh, deeper in that direction. And, and what are some of the trends or, or, or themes that are emerging that you're really um, uh, tracking? Uh, yeah, there's, a couple things that kind of come to mind. One, so much time of a data scientist is spent bringing data together, cleaning it. It's just, it's a lot of minutia. It's not particularly exciting or engaging when you do it day after day. And so some of the things that we're starting to see is platforms that are automating a lot of this, making it much mm-hmm. easier to do themselves using machine learning or AI to help you with the process of bringing your data together. I think that's a really exciting one because that work is super critical. It's absolutely necessary, but it's not always answering the questions. I think that's been said a couple of times, which is like this problem solving or, or you know identifying answers to these questions that people have. So I think that's a, a really big one. And then and sort you, of- sorry Sorry okay. to oh, just sorry to jump in really quickly. You used the acronym CDP earlier, and uh, that's Customer Data Platform. Is that the type of platform you're referring that's to? That's the type I'm. Yeah, I'm talking about that. Uh, they they have a variety of names, and so mm-hmm. it's where you're being able to bring all these different data streams together and have sort of one view of whether it is a customer, a product, whatever that might look like. So I think that's a really exciting one. Uh, the cloud platforms in general have also really become much more robust. So, you know, it used to be you did everything on premise, you spent tons of time managing the infrastructure and really worrying about workloads and jobs. And now you get to focus a lot more around the actual outcomes you're trying to achieve and less about like, how do you get this cluster stood up so that someone can actually go do their job? So there's some huge improvements in that space. And then I think just Generally, I mean, you heard it in sort of the profiles of of the team we have, which is 
a lot of people are coming from other industries or from other disciplines, and they're bringing all this diversity and thought and and skills to the problem, where you know that itself is really exciting. And so you see people who have come from all manners of life, whether that's PhDs or not, and being able to really tap into those experiences has been uh, has been quite beneficial and just exciting to see you know the industry continue to evolve that way. Yeah, what uh, I don't know, uh, Brian or Felix, what, do you have anything to add? Uh, I'll jump in there. I, I think you know, you're talking about big trends, and I, I totally agree with what Zimmer was saying. You know, the the automation is changing uh, how we do things, but I think the trend that I am most excited about is. Um, how consumers are starting to understand what machine learning means, what AI means, hmm. and how that is going to drive the work that we do. Um, the example I gave with the salespeople, like, or, or making that tool for a sales team, um, if they go to another position and are suddenly forced to rank their leads by themselves, I think their response is going to be like, what is this, the dark ages? Um, we, <laughs> we used to have tools that did this. And, you know, if I go to the Nordstrom um, uh, webpage and they show me a sale for back to school, I'm going to be like, who are you people? I, I only buy old man clothes from you. Um, <laughs> this isn't a good, you know, so I, I think that that's changing. You know, there was this time where uh, to the consumer, this stuff was just magic. And then there's a time where I think we're still in this period where it's like still kind of evil, where it's like, I don't know, they're stealing my data. What are they doing with it? Um, but then we're also coming into this period where it's really um, becoming something that's expected. And um, I think, you know, expected and necessary. And I think that's going to um, make the, it's going to expand the field. I mean, everybody is going to, uh, or not everybody, but, you know, just many other places are going to be required to have that stuff done um, by a machine. Yeah, I um, that's such a good point. And, uh, you know, it's something that we talk a lot about here at Brightlam is the um, the fact that that customer expectations are changing and customer ex expectations are moving in the direction of um, exactly that you just described, Brian. And the only way for businesses of any scale to meet or exceed that expectation is through technology. It's the stuff, Zimmer, you were just talking about. It's it's automation, it's cloud, it's it's data science, um, and and being able to sort of keep up with, with those expectations is a big challenge that um, a lot of uh, consumer brands um, are facing today. And it just as a consumer, it's, it's I loved your example. Brian, like, you know it when it happens. You're like, wait a second, I shop with you all the time and yet you still don't know who I am or the fact that I am a, a loyal customer. Um, 
uh, and I think a lot of people lose patience with that very quickly. So uh, just kind of building on, you know, where we where we are in this conversation, you know, we've talked about the, the definitions of data science and the nature of the problems that data science can solve, um, some of the big trends in the field. Um, I'd love to kind of shift over and uh, maybe ask you, Felix, first, um, what are some you know, what's an example of just something really sort of breakthrough and powerful um, uh, that you have either uh, participated in or observed from afar um, that, uh, you know, left its mark as as a as an example of what's possible um, with uh, with data science? Do you have does anything come to mind? Oh, absolutely. So something that I've been following a lot is something called the Generative Pre-Trained Transformer 3, um, more well known as GPT-3. And that is a natural language processing algorithm that is generating text that can pass the Turing test sometimes. Um, It is fascinating. I have used the, it was uh, released by this group called OpenAI. And you can download a pretty simple Python client uh, package called GPT-2 of a previous version, which holds a piece of that model. They haven't released all of it necessarily, or I have to get up on the details of it. But I've used GPT-2, which is the previous version, and it is crazy. I can say (laughs) it's pretty impressive, even using the smaller model. Um, and I think about this all the time, not only the, the dark sides of it, because we have to think about everything that humans make is going to reflect humanity and have dark sides and good sides. But, um, in terms of chatbots, I mean, this would, this is going to revolutionize chatbots. It's not going to be a chatbot. It's going to be like talking to a person. And Mm -hmm. if you imagine like with a lot of things with AI, these things aren't ready to just release into the wild, but you could really thoughtfully use these in a human assisted way. Uh, maybe, you know, have a pretty good chatbot, but if it gets to a point it's flagged and then a human customer service representative takes over, just, I mean, thinking back to the dark ages of when we would get on the phone when we had a computer problem and talk to yeah. somebody across the world and not have a terrible connection and not really get any help. And then thinking about a future where you might be able to get instantaneous help that actually works and it's not just a kind of not that great chatbot. Like th- these are the kinds of things that are going to change everything. Um, you that's know, on that, my mind a lot. Yeah, that's such a good example. And just a, a quick, quick story. Um, I was on a flight in like 2009 uh, and I was sitting on a plane in, in coach and I was sitting next to this like seven year old boy and it was one of the planes with the, the screens on the headrest on the back of the headrest. And I was sitting there and I, I was, I, he sort of caught my eye because he reached up and he started trying to swipe the screen on the headrest. And it was one of these moments where I was like, the world has changed like seven year olds in live in a world where touchscreens are like that's the way you interact with computers is through touchscreen and then a few years ago i noticed that both of my kids uh, my kids are now 16 and 13 my son was probably around eight or nine same ballpark age as that kid on the plane and i noticed he was talking to his phone or not his phone but my phone or to the like remote trying to get the 
the show that he wanted to watch on the remote. And he still does that. And so I think sort of to the point of your example, Felix, like we are at another one of these moments where uh, behavior is changing en masse in these in this very fundamental way um, where consumers are being trained to expect to be able to interact not just by tapping on things on their smartphone, but also by actually speaking and being understood, which is fascinating and also at its core is being enabled by this technology that you're describing. Um, I, I saw heads nodding on the on the Zoom screen we have here. Zimmer, what, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, one of the examples that, that I love is from ag. And so, you know, you have a, a normal farm field and most farmers just spray over the top, whether it's an herbicide or pesticide or some sort of fertilizer. One of the projects that was being worked on at my last place was this idea of called see and spray. And they'd send robots to the field or drones to the field. And they were in real time looking at the disease of a plant, looking at whether it is like they found a bug or they found mm -hmm. a, a pathogen or some kind of mold or something. And they would mix the appropriate crop protection in real wow. time and then spray. And so wow. it has dramatic impact on the environment, dramatic impact on the kind of efficacy and the amount of time people are spending in the field, like just huge productivity gains from being able to really invest in that. And it's kind of the same thing with they have autonomous tractors now that are able to plant and harvest which keeps, uh, you know, they run all night long and just like lots of opportunities there. And, and all this is powered by, you know, the same techniques that are being applied to other industries. So uh, there's some really, really fascinating things that are happening. And, you know, those it's kind of like when NASA went to the moon and all these technologies kind of came back down into like everyday life. And some of the things yeah. that, you know, we are seeing now and cutting edge R&D will trickle into our everyday lives. You know, you've seen that now with autonomous cars and things like that. Yeah, that's um, what a what a fascinating example, too. And uh, the the you know, one of the things that it points out is, I, I think, the automation that you mentioned earlier and just the the need for these systems and models to be plugged into um, automation one. But two is and we saw this and this is maybe a, a reach but i'll go there saw something similar at starbucks in the sense that there are these incredibly powerful technologies and platforms that are are sort of operating in the cloud and dealing with massive data sets and then all of a sudden something happens in the real world <laughs> like it gets it becomes kinetic like it goes from this virtual thing to all of a sudden it's material and it's kinetic. And um, uh, I, I just think like examples like the one you gave are, are just the tip of the iceberg of how this, these systems and, and data science and these models and automation are going to change the world in pretty fundamental ways. Um, uh, Brian Prazen, how about you? Yeah. Um, I, I just loved Felix's example and what you were saying about it, I, I feel like when I think of, um, you know, the future, what this is bringing us, I think we're at this spot where the interacting um, through speech throughout, whether it's in our car, um, is really going to change things in the next couple of years. And 
I remember the time where that problem to me personally seemed so unbelievably big that it yeah. was impossible. And I'm seeing it everywhere. It, it's it's happening. We, this typing uh, with our thumbs is is going to be gone soon. Yeah, I um, uh, totally totally agree. Um, and it's it's just it's interesting how far it's come in terms of the technology and the capability, and yet how long we have to go to get the applications of those technologies to to be things that you know outside of some very niche use cases like talking to your tv remote um how it's going to to uh achieve ubiquity um it's going to be fascinating to see uh in the coming um coming months and years um so uh one of the questions that we always ask our guests on this uh, podcast is um, if you can share an experience from your non-professional lives uh, with with an organization, with a brand that kind of made a mark, left an impression, um, these are usually positive examples of um, you know companies or organizations that are are doing really, great things for their their constituents their customers um and so uh would love to would love to get you know any anecdotes that you all can uh, can share do you want to do you want to go first simmer sure uh so anyone who spends any time with me knows i love being outside i love riding my bike and it's where my kind of happy place is and so i'm a religious user of a of an app or of a platform called strava and i think it there's a couple of things that they do that I find really compelling. One, they have massive collection of GPS tracks. So we've ridden your bikes or you've run or you've hiked or you've done anything and it's being recorded. You upload it to Strava and they have generated recently heat maps, both personal heat maps as well as like global heat maps. And as someone who loves to go kind of venturing off the traditional paths of, uh, you know, bike lanes or, or road and deep into the mountains, it gives me an opportunity to really look and see like, oh, like a couple people have connected this, which on the map or on the satellite imagery does not actually look like it goes through. And I'm like, oh, I can try that. So uh, it's really given myself and, and many other people who I ride with opportunities to go places that we wouldn't maybe have explored before. And, and it's really fun to be the first person to lay down a track too. It's like, I can connect <laughs> this, this road to this road deep in the woods. And, uh, and that's kind of exciting. So, uh, they're, you know, they're using a lot of, uh, machine learning to kind of build these and just the engineering behind it too. I kind of find fascinating. And then, you know, I benefit from being able yeah. to do routes I would never have done otherwise. That uh, Strava is one of those brands that there's such a strong community and, and passion around it. Um, it's a that's a great example. Felix, how about you? Uh, I do want to echo the love for Strava. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I haven't been on there in a couple of years because I'm not competing anymore. But when I was, man, they really nailed the gamification aspect. My last company tried to do so with limited success, and Strava just are they're a case study in how to do gamification. But the example I wanted to talk about is actually in marketing because I ever since you know starting to work at Brightloom, I'm really trying to pay attention to 
ads and things that feel relevant or work for me. And I gotta say, I, I'm a big fan of Steam, um, mm. the gaming platform. And I love uh, products like theirs where there is some kind of an input element for me. So it's not just their algorithms or something like that. I, I can have a wish list. So I'm not totally sure, but I can communicate to this brand that I am interested in buying this thing, but for whatever reason, I'm not going to buy it right now. So I can put games on this wish list. And then every time something on my wish list goes on sale, I get an email. And that's really simple, but that is a win-win situation in marketing that doesn't necessarily happen that much. And it's a really good way to get people to convert. And when I actually get an ad for something that I want, I feel really excited about it because email can just be so saturated. And when you get one of those opportunities where it's like the brand is getting something from you and you're getting something from them, that just feels really good. And it feels like something's working. That's awesome. I mean, the games industry has just been such a such an engine of uh, innovation, particularly in in the areas that you're just describing, Felix. It's a great great example. Um, yeah. All right, Brian, you're up. Yeah, yeah. I'm struggling with this one. Zimmer's example really makes me think of you know like the brand that I'm really passionate about right now is. Hobie, this company that makes uh, kayaks and little sailboats. And during the pandemic, that was just a great way for me to uh, be active and away from people. And the this is a unique choice because I don't think there's any brand that I know of that is less um, kind of on the internet or uh, they they sell everything through reps that are embedded in sporting goods stores. The reps love the products. Hmm. The reps try to get you in contact with other people that love the products. Um, it is a very old school system, but it really makes me wonder how you, um, how you transition that kind of club like experience that like, very much like this is a special thing that's for you um, to the modern marketing system and um, how you balance that and come up with something like Strava where everybody feels like they're contributing and they're part of the, the club. Um, I think it can make a really strong brand. Couldn't agree more. Um, thanks, Brian. This has been fantastic. It's so uh, great to be able to uh, get you guys on the podcast and uh, talk about uh, all things data science. Could go for another hour or two hours easily. And just to kind of recap what I've sort of taken away from this conversation and, and really throughout our time working together is that just the massive opportunities that exist in data to elevate customer experience and and drive efficiencies in, in terms of how work gets done to have impact. I mean, Zimmer, the example you gave from ag is, is a, a great example of just how broadly the range of opportunities is. Um, and uh, not last but not least is just using, using data science and use data to predict the future, um, which we all would love to do. So um, 
Lucky to have you guys as colleagues. Thank you for being on the podcast. That is a wrap. Um, Thanks for listening. Check back soon for another conversation with digital obsessed leaders. Until then, take care. Thanks so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information on what Adam and Ben are building with their teams, visit brightloom.com and follow them on Twitter at Adam Brotman and at B Straley.